0: Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is God's word given for our good. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Right. If you Bend will remain hands. standing while uh, while I pray for us, thank you so much. Heavenly Father, we come to you now, ready to hear from your Word. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, in your sight, O oh God, our Rock and our Redeemer. And we pray this through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please. Take a seat <clears throat> Well, you know it's Labor Day because it's officially the beginning of fall and yet it feels like the dead of summer um, and part of what happens with Labor Day, if your experience is anything similar to mine, is that you are inundated by the announcements of Labor Day sales and I will tell you that I have a complicated relationship with Labor Day sales, and with clearances and deals in general, because it just stirs up something in me. And that something, like I i feel like I'm getting better, I feel like I'm making a little bit of progress, but if you measured it against your own experience, you would probably say, Jason, that's like 1%, come on. But my my progress comes in the fact that what gets stirred up in me is I just start to crave new stuff. I look at what's on sale and I just say to myself, yeah, that would be really great. Even though I have a perfectly good inflatable kayak that I don't use, having a hard-sided kayak would be really excellent. Ari, I am looking at you. Or, you know, I just I look at the stuff and I really want to explore even the idea of, hey, what if I got that? What if I got that? How would things be improved? And part of that comes because in my childhood, I always wanted better stuff. I was always craving that. I was the third of three boys, so half of my possessions were hand-me-downs. So whenever I got the complaint from my older brothers of you've always had twice as much stuff, I'm, yet, I'm like, yeah and half of it's worn out but i had this craving for better stuff there were maybe two things in my childhood that i really truly deeply treasured and that was my blue bicycle that had the seat that made it look like a motorcycle you know and that was it was blue it was heavy steel there was probably 60 pounds of steel in this bike and it was, and it proudly was emblazoned on the front with a little emblem that let you know that it came from the fine people at Montgomery Ward. And I rode that thing for thousands of miles, and I do not ever remember even putting air in the tires. That was my bike. It was so great. And then, later on in my childhood, as I started to emerge into adolescence, I had my Jambox box. I had this big, heavy beast of a thing from Sony that had not just AM and FM radio, but it had a cassette player built into it, so I could, tr- I, I could listen to whatever I wanted to, as loud as I wanted to, regardless of who was around me, and if I wanted to go portable, it only took eight D-cell batteries <laughs> to run it, and I was just so, I loved that thing. But the rest of my stuff was ordinary, plain, and sometimes was even pointed out to me that it wasn't the same as what other people had. I grew up probably within my little segment, my neighborhood, and where I went to middle school and high school. I was on the low socioeconomic end of that population. So I was surrounded by those who had better stuff than me, and sometimes they did me the favor of pointing it out. They'd maybe jab a finger at the jousting knight on my polo shirt instead of the polo player, right? And they would make a comment about the fact that on the back of my jeans was a patch that read tough skins rather than Levi's. And so, I was just made aware of that, and it just helped to foster in me this, like, craving to have better stuff, nicer things. I wanted them to be higher quality. I wanted them f- wanted those things to fit better, and I really wanted them because I would feel safe. I would feel safe from people pointing out the differences. I would feel safe from sticking out because, like, at least for me, and I don't know if this is the experience of kids today, but, like, Being the one that everybody can pick out of a crowd usually isn't the thing you want to have about you when you're in school. You kinda wanna just be able to go along and get along. And so I wanted that safety that came from it. And just growing up didn't exactly cure that craving. Like even when I was in college, I was actually very proud of how much I wore my clothes over and over again, and they were in really, condition by the time I was finishing up my degree. But that desire for stuff was still there. I was an art major and I made sure that I had every possible permutation of the materials I might need, of the tools that should be at the ready. I wanted to have every possible kind of paint even though I was known as somebody who was not a painter. And so that craving kind of continued. And maybe, maybe you feel like, yeah, this is, this is a great like, travel log of your story, Jason, but what's going on? That craving that I had, I think is what starts off in people and becomes that dynamic of the things we own starting to own us. And maybe you can identify with that. Maybe you don't have exactly the same story. Maybe for you, it wasn't the clothes you wore, but it was the books you owned, or it was having the right kind of car, or whatever it was. But maybe you can identify in the specifics of my story the idea that I'm going for here, because I wanted to warm us up to what Jesus is going to be talking to us about today. This is This is from the Sermon on the Mount, this passage that we're looking at today. And when Jesus said these things, He said them in a certain context. He was talking to people who were very familiar, probably with the Old Testament. They were very familiar with the ideas of how the righteous, those who belonged to the Lord and were following His ways, were to be generous generally. And that they were not to be hoarding or keeping for themselves, but they were to be hospitable, kind, and very generous with the people around them. And yet, he is helping them to understand that those those commitments that were a part of the faith, and especially of those who were religious at the time, and would define it as, well, then, like, here's what you got to do, and that satisfies it. He was saying... Guys, you got to realize that's, that's not the ceiling, that's the floor. He was rearranging the understanding of what it meant to really be generous in terms of being God's people, of reflecting the character of a God who gives everything to us, even when we squander it, even when we're not responsible with it. I mean, how many times did that craving that I had get reinforced when my dad would say, well, you're so rough on things? And it's like, what do you mean you use something and it gets marked up, you know? So Jesus is resetting this understanding of how we are to care for the things we have, to care for our possessions. And what he does is he uses these words of treasure to get at it. But what we're going to find is that whether it's the way we're treasuring, whether it's the way we're eyeing things, or the way we're serving something, that it all comes down to an issue of our heart. What's going on in the deepest center of who we are? So let's look at what Jesus said and let's unpack it a little bit. This is from Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now I have to admit, whenever I heard this as a very young fellow, I thought, you know, laying up treasures in heaven meant that there was some celestial bank that I was making deposits in. But what we find is that what Jesus is really saying here is that whatever we are treasuring on earth is actually going to be different if we steward it in a way that honors God And it actually shows that what we are treasuring is God's way of doing things, God's economy, not our own earthly economy. In the Gospel of Luke, where this this teaching is recorded, it uses the phrase, money bags that do not grow old. That's a a different concept, right? But it's the same concept principle. It's the same idea that instead of amassing assets here in this life, that we're actually amassing assets in terms of how God is operating in and through our life. And the reason we're given is because there's some negative things to it, right? If we spend all of the who we are on amassing material wealth in this life, that doesn't mean we'll get to keep it We won't get to keep it because moth and rust destroy. Material wealth at the time was usually around whatever coins you had, and those coins weren't pure, unblemishable. They weren't stainless steel coins. They were coins that could corrode because of the elements around them. And the other place your wealth went was into your clothing, the fabric you were able to supply for yourself and for your family, And for the needs of your home. But moths can destroy stuff. I remember I had one suit um, for a long, long time. And that one suit, I wore it every time it was a special occasion. And then there was a funeral I was to go to. And I put it on and I looked. And sure enough, there were little tiny holes everywhere. Because the moths had gotten to it. And of course, the thought that went through my head is... Well, if I just keep moving, no one will notice. (laughs) But that's what happens to the things, the assets that we have in this world, our stuff, right? Is that there are natural forces that can take it away. But also, it's not just where moth and rust destroy, but where thieves break in and steal. Malicious people can take what is ours. Josh Kennedy, what a great mensch, he's our Sunday operations guy here, he helps make sure that all the load in looks great, he helped me find a bike when I first started like commuting on bike to work, and he f- helped me find this great hybrid bike, and it was like the right size, it fit great, I outfitted it all the way I wanted, and it was even like, I didn't choose this, but it was red, and I just thought to myself, it's <laughs> so great, Right? Some of you get it. and uh, But I went out on my bike, starting off to work one day, and then I remembered, oh, I was meeting somebody across town for lunch. So then I came back, put my bike in the garage, set my backpack down, ducked into the house to change my shoes, came out. Three minutes later, my bike and my backpack and my wife's bike were stolen out of the garage. And my heart sank and there are aspects of it like my backpack had my computer and my iPad in it and my notebook with all the journaling notes I had made and I felt bad about that but it was also freeing not to have these little electronic toddlers to mind throughout my day. But what still gets stirred up in me when I think about that red bike is Somebody just took it. And it still is one of those things that's like, how could they have done that? They just took it. People do that. They take things. And so if you think by getting stuff that you're actually going to be able to hold on to it in this life, you're not going to be able to. And Jesus wants us to get a clear picture of this because he wants us to think about the kind of investment we want to do in our life, the kind of things we do want to treasure. Why do we want the stuff around us when we know it won't last? Why don't we want the things God wants, knowing that it will last and will last far longer and have far better impact than we could ever have hoped? And part of what he's doing here is he's dispelling the notions that we have that what we do... For the benefit of others to see really matters. When your whole person is devoted to amassing stuff, are you doing that because you actually need it or because you want others to see that you've got it? That's a heart level question that needs to be asked. And it's consistent with what things Jesus had already pointed out in the Sermon on the Mount before this. We're in chapter 6 of Matthew, it's about halfway through the Sermon on the Mount, but even in verse 2 of chapter 6, you hear Jesus say, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And then in verse 5, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites on street corners, they... Do it to be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites so that they can be seen by others. They have received their reward. What's Jesus getting at? Even the way you gather your stuff can be something you're doing for the benefit of some onlooking audience. And that has very little to do with what God wants to do in your life. So the way we invest should be toward having that heavenly reward. And what are we investing? Well, Jesus is pointing it out. It's our heart. The scent of our our being, our emotions, our reason, our will, the reason we get up in the morning, the reason we get our hustle on, the reason we do the things that we do. That is what God wants. He wants all of who we are. Not our Sunday morning slice of time. He wants all of who we are, not merely the ways in which we interact with the people around us. He wants all of who we are, changing us from the inside out. And that's why you hear in the way it's presented in the Gospel of Luke that when Jesus is teaching this very thing, He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's the same teaching, right? But in Luke, it comes across a little more pointedly. He's saying, get rid of your stuff to benefit those around you. And that is the kind of commitment, that heart commitment, Jesus wants in us. He doesn't want us to come at Him just with a notional thanks, Lord, and move on in our day. He wants a complete change where giving away our possessions wouldn't feel like a radical act. It would feel like an everyday occurrence. So, Jesus is asking us, what do you give your heart to? Are you giving your heart to your treasures here on earth? What are you actively treasuring? So to understand this for ourselves, maybe we should ask these questions. What are you looking forward to the most? Is it the next purchase that you're going to make? The next meal you're going to eat? The next trip you want to take? Or is it the next report from a missionary you've been praying for? Is it the next gathering of your community group to catch up with those that you're following Jesus with? Is it the next opportunity to become a mentor to someone who's learning life skills and building their own self-sufficiency? Is it that opportunity you'll have next to talk about your faith with a friend, to encourage one another, or even to introduce what you believe to somebody you care about? When you think about your stuff, your money, your assets, your belongings, how do you approach generosity? Are you just giving away the leftovers of your stuff? Or do you begin with the assumption that the first fruits, the first portion of what God blesses you with should be the first thing right back out the door into the world by blessing God's people, by blessing the church, by blessing the poor around us, where is your heart? Are you bound up, as I can sometimes be, in perpetual stuff collecting? Or is your heart bound to the permanence of heaven? And by this, we can understand it not as some shining bank in the cloud but the permanence of heaven is that reordering of all creation that Jesus has already begun and is going to complete when he comes back. That should be the kind of permanence that our heart longs for, that we put ourselves all in with. So this, this question of treasuring stirs up a lot for us. But Jesus goes on in his teaching And he talks about how the eye is the lamp of the body. And in verse 22, it goes on, So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? This is not the easiest picture to understand. But let me give you some context for it. During this time, when Jesus was saying this, there was an understanding that light not only was received by the eye, but emanated from the eye, and that it was the way you got insight into what was going on inside the whole person. It's really another way of asking questions about your heart. And so, Jesus is using this idea of the eye being the lamp of the body to get across that, like, yeah, When you think about it, there's only really two ways to relate to your stuff. You're either the kind of person who's motivated by greed or miserliness, such that it's kind of dark in there, and you're motivated in ways that don't mind exploitative practices to bring you the things you think you want, that doesn't mind that there's an incredible disparity between what you have and what others need that doesn't mind that you can get things through whatever means you deem necessary. It can get dark really quick, or it can be light. That healthy eye sees with a clear vision that's loyally devoted to God. So, Jesus is setting up this dynamic where someone with clear eyes seeks to honor God first in all things, to give generously, to be hospitable, to share their life and their stuff all the time, and somebody who even, as Jesus says elsewhere, can celebrate when somebody else is blessed. They don't look at all of life like a zero-sum game where if somebody gets a windfall or a blessing, that that somehow takes something away from me. Jesus says, no, you can actually celebrate when somebody else gets good stuff. But if someone has darkened eyes, they see their own gain above all else. That's what they're seeking. And they become more and more inwardly turned Their gains are worth the degradation of creation and the exploitation of those around them. And those gains that others experience feel like loss to them. That's not what God wants for us. That's not what Jesus is telling us about. He's telling us about an inward state that's indicated in our eyes, both in what we give our attention to and what our outlook is and this diagnostic of our hearts through our eyes, what it gives us is a picture of our mindset. Do we have a mindset of scarcity where there's not much, and so if I don't get my portion, if I don't fight for my portion, someone will take it away from me? Or do we have a mindset of abundance? That mindset of, a, of scarcity just imagine two toddlers and one toy. What happens? If you've ever been in the room with it, you know, madness. (laughs) But what happens when you have a mindset of abundance? We can get caught up in the joy and the delight That we don't have to worry about what size our piece of the pie is. We have a God who makes more pie. I'm gonna say that again so that it lands a little better. If we're in a scarcity mindset, we're usually concerned about, am I gonna get the right size piece of pie? But if we remember the abundance that God actually offers us in his kingdom, we know that God makes more pie. And now I'm thinking it too. Mmm, pie. But that's the kind of thing Jesus is inviting us into when he's talking about this stuff. And then he lands it so wonderfully. Because as he continues this teaching, he talks about what we've given our hearts to, where our heart is, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also, right? And what our eyes tell us about what's going on inside of us. But then he lands it with this, starting in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, Now, if you're like me, the first time you read this, you read it in the King James Version, and according to the King James Version, it is, you cannot serve God and mammon, which is actually slightly more accurate because mammon represented the possessions, the stuff we have. Money is this thing that we use to get it, right? But what was the point of what Jesus was saying here? It's serve. When he says no one can serve two masters, he's literally saying the be the slave of working like somebody who doesn't have rights. Somebody who's owned like property by one master and has to give that master exclusive service. What it reminds me of is the lyrics of the famous song, you got to serve somebody. Because the nature of humankind is to be wholeheartedly devoted to someone. We were built that way. We were built to be that wholeheartedly devoted to God. But sin has messed things up such that we sometimes, in place of God, put someone else or something else that we channel all of our motivations toward, and that we make central in our thinking, in our lives, and our emotions— even as we have relationships with other people and extenuating relationships through our communities and our nations, what ends up happening is we end up with that wholehearted focus sometimes just on the collecting of stuff and the, way, the means to get that stuff on our money. And when we hear Jesus say, he will either hate the one and love the other Hate might not actually be the right word to use here. It might be more like, instead of actively disliking someone, just the position that that person has, that that thing has, is displaced by our overriding loyalty to the other thing. So Jesus is letting us know something about ourselves. We have this tendency to go all in with something, but it can't be a question day-to-day between are we going all in with God or all in with our money? All in with God or all in with our stuff? And Jesus is making it very clear. you got to choose. you got to make a choice. Are you going to depend on your stuff and then become subject to it? Are you going to own more stuff and watch as your stuff more and more owns you? Or are you going to respond to God, go all in with Him, and see that what He actually wants for you and for me and for all of us is this beautiful, never diminished cycle of gifts? He gives us gifts in our possessions, in our abilities, in our capacities, in our time. And we, in turn, give it to the people around us and give it back to Him. And even as He receives from us a gift, He gives us more. And then we, in turn, give more back to Him and more back to those around us. That's the kind of kingdom abundance dynamic that Jesus is teaching us to look for, and He wants to develop it in us because otherwise we become this inward little raisin version of ourselves, and He wants us to be full and vibrant, full of life that begets life in others. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So even as you looked at the passage, you looked at it and you probably said, great, a money sermon. Just what I always wanted to hear. I love going to church and I love hearing somebody give a money sermon where I feel guilty and then I make a commitment and then I don't follow through with it or whatever. That's not the point here. You may be thinking, then what is the sales pitch here? You know, I'm at the closing of the sermon, and you're wondering, how is he going to try and close this deal, right? I'm not making a sales pitch for tithing, as good as that is. I'm not making a sales pitch for giving, as good as that is. I'm not even making a sales pitch for generosity. Those are all good things, but that's not what I'm here hoping I can draw your attention to and maybe pull on your desires such that you would respond. What I am pitching here is that you fully embrace Jesus, that you really do trust Him with all of who you are and what you have. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll be having a garage sale later this afternoon or putting your house on the market on Tuesday. But it does mean that if you really go all in with Him and trust Him, that He is going to so align all of who you are that you will want to be the kind of person who is deeply generous And some of you may feel like, hey, you're making this pitch, and I'm already sold. That's how I live. That's wonderful. And yet, I know there are some of you who are probably thinking, yeah, but you don't know my situation. My margins are razor thin. I can't start being generous. I would just say, take all of that to the Lord and trust that he really will show up and deliver. What follows this in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying, don't get worked up about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, how you're going to live. Don't get worked up about that. If you follow and seek after my kingdom, my Father in heaven is going to supply every need you have. That's the kind of trust and dependence I would love for you to take on. I would love for you to look at that and say, I want that. Because I need this message just as much as you do. And here's what it comes down to. It's a very clear choice. So which do we choose? Do we give up everything that truly lasts for things that we are almost certainly going to lose? Or are we willing to give up what we can never really keep for that which we can never lose? That's the question. That's the choice. May we choose wisely. Amen. Amen.